Why don't we stand again and read the text? Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, beginning. My brothers, if you'd put this on the screen, thank you. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Our series is Rediscovering the Church. Here's what it says. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, it's actually uh, Caesarea. We say Caesarea because we're country. But Caesar, Caesar, Caesarea, Philippi. Here, we were here. Some of you were there when we went to Israel. This is about 25 miles north of Bethsaida. It's a place where Caesar had temples built. It was a place of worship of other gods. The god Pan was worshipped there. And isn't it interesting? Among those gods, Jesus declared this statement. And this great statement was said. He asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, that I the Son of Man am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some Elijah. Others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. That's not his last name. It's a title. Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. The son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Petros. And on this Petra, you hear that? You are Petros, Peter, little stone. And on this Petra, massive stone. Little stone, massive stone. So is, it, is he going to build the church on a little stone or a massive stone? No, it's on the massive stone. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, that's death itself shall not prevail. And I will, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Father, bless, I pray the reading of your word today. Bless our hearts. We want to hear what the spirit says to the church in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. I know we've taken much time in shopkeeping there, but if you will Listen quickly. I will try to preach quickly. We are rediscovering the church. And you say, why, do, why would we need to do that? Well, I believe that in every generation, there needs to be a rediscovery, not of the modern church, but of the ancient blueprint of the church that we find in the book of Acts and that we find in the wonderful epistles. So why would we need to do that? Why would we need to rediscover the church. There's two reasons that I can see. Number one is that in every generation, the church, the visible church on earth vacillates back and forth between life and death, between spiritual vitality and spiritual barrenness. There are times when there's a great spirit of renewal in churches. There's a time when there's great outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And then there's times when there's like a sterility, a deadness, for instance, when Peter preached at, at Cornelius' house, the scripture says that he was preaching there and something marvelous happened. Before he finished the sermon, 
the Spirit of God from heaven just fell all over those of Cornelius' house. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with tongues. They began to prophesy. Peter and the group that were with him were just amazed and said, look, the same thing that happened to us Jews, now it's happening to the Gentiles. Great times. Oh, I long for a day like that. But then there's other times in the work of God when it's like Ezekiel. And the Lord, and he says, Lord, can these bones live? The, 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 ask him, can these bones live? And he says, Lord, only you know. And he says, prophesy to the bones. And there, there was lifelessness. All there was bones there. There wasn't any sinew or flesh. And he was prophesying by faith. And some pastors are just prophesying by faith. He can't get people to pray. He can't get people to witness. Things are the, 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 the spirit of God's at a low ebb and a low tide. But yet preachers just prophesy. They keep preaching in faith. Those times happen. Ebb and flow happens. But why does this happen? I believe it happens because of two things. Hunger and holiness or we could say it this way holiness and hunger why would we vacillate back and forth in a church why would a church holiness and hunger do you know that holiness is very important to the lord I hear these people that say, I'm just going to go to heaven and I, when I get there I'm just going to run up and jump in the lord's lap no you will not one of the problems in our religious culture today in Christianum is we have forgotten who God is. In heaven, you know what's happening right now? Holy, holy, holy. Day and night. You think you're going to run up on God's lap? He's an awesome God. We have a culture today of Christian. We're, we're not afraid to sin against him anymore. Why does the church ebb and flow back and forth? It's because of the condition of the hearts of his people. I believe this. The Lord is no respecter of persons. Any people in any age, in any city, no matter where they are, if they will set their hearts right with God, and if they will seek God with all their heart, their mind, and their soul, blessing will come. If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear from heaven, not before, then would I hear from heaven, then would I forgive their sin, and then would I heal their land. Why do we ebb and flow, holiness or lack thereof, and hunger. When those two things are restored, things happen. I believe this, that any time God's blessing is withdrawn from a people of God or a church, it's always because of sin. Prayerlessness may be, worldliness, covetousness, immorality, spiritual neglect, pride, but it's always about sin. I can see Joshua 
and Joshua, they have defeated Jericho, and the people are so happy, and they've that long, long-awaited promise is now fulfilled. What took 40 years and this vacillating and just, just the people sinning and wondering, and then one step forward, two steps back, and now here under Joshua, and they've crossed the Jordan, and they've taken Jericho, and there's a, there's a happiness, there's a, there's a wonder of what God's about to do, and then all of a sudden, they come to a little place called Ai, and they send the men out, and they're absolutely defeated. They're absolutely decimated, and I can see the leader, Joshua, and he's on his face, and he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, I don't understand. I don't understand how we could defeat mighty Jericho, and here we are. This little city decimates us. I don't understand, God. And the Lord speaks and says, Joshua, get off your face. Stop praying to me. There is sin among my people. Get the sin out. And they went from tribe to tribe. And they went from group to group. And they went from family to family. And then it finally came to Achan. And then Achan, he said, give glory to God. What have you done? I lusted after the money. I lusted after the garment. I hid it. Sin stops the move of God. Listen to me, saints. You don't sin in isolation. This individualistic American mindset of Christianity is a lie, and it's a farce. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are connected together. When you sin, we all sin because it affects the church. Holiness and hunger. Why do we vacillate? Here's the second reason. It's because we need to rediscover the church because many don't even understand the purpose of the church. They don't, they, their, their concept of church is I go and, and sing a few good songs and get an emotional uplift and pastor talks about something, a spiritual lesson, and then you know, once in a while we eat and, and to them that is the concept of the church. Oh, church. Oh, church. Get your eyes lifted higher in mentality than that. Do you understand the church was chosen from eternity past? God chose us before there were angels, before there were universes and sun and moon and star, before there was anything. We were in his mind. We're not some place to hang out once a week and then go. We are God's eternal purpose. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and 4. Do you not, do we not understand we are the temples of the Holy Spirit? God is here. Do we not understand that we are the members of the body of Christ, every single one of us? We need to rediscover the church so desperately. Now I've got to go quick from here. Last time we were together, we rediscovered Messiah. I literally, we, we, could, we could literally take every Sunday for the next 52 Sundays and talk about Jesus. I have an addiction, and I, I want to confess it today. Half price books. <laughs> I just, it's a, 
funny thing is, I'm not trying to get out of it. You know, I'm not trying to get free right now, you know. But uh, the, I was down at Half Price Books yesterday. It's just, I have this hunger. I, I have a hunger to read. I have a hunger for knowledge. I feel sorry for people who don't read. I just, I can't even understand that. I, I have about six books going right now. I bought another one yesterday, so maybe seven not now. I bought a book yesterday. I thought, this looks good. It was a lady British, uh, a British journalist. She's Jewish, but she's British. And it's called An Upside Down World. And I even went on YouTube. I said, Who, this lady's good. And I went, and she's talking about why our world is so confused, why Britain is so confused, why America's so confused, why, you know, this transgender issue of loss. Of, and, and I thought, man, this lady's good. And I've already read through chapter two. And I'm like, well, but I just, I have this hunger, but most of all, I have a hunger to read about the word, have a hunger to read commentaries and to read theology. And I, I've got a great theology book I'm going through, like two of them I'm going through right now. You need to read. I can't imagine that you're sitting here today and that you've been a Christian for any time at all. And you haven't at least picked up one book about the history of the church or some kind of theology book about God. Somebody said, dusty theology. I'm thinking, don't ever talk to me because I'm, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Dusty theology? What imbecile would say that? Theology is the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, the creator, the redeemer, the transcendent one, the immutable one, the eternal one, the one who is full of love and grace and mercy. And you want to say that's dusty? No, that's my life. That's our life. David said, I love your word more than thousands of gold and silver coins. You say it may be over my head. Well, get a simple, you've got some simple theology books that, are, that, that anyone could understand. Read about this God. The problem in the American church is this problem. We don't know who God is. We do, we do not. Listen, the way that modern Christians live, I can tell you they don't know God. We have lost our fear of holy God. Rediscovering Messiah. I could spend 52 weeks talking about Messiah. And I, my whole point in that little dirt road was this. I found a book, and it was 100 titles of Jesus. And I started flipping through that. And see, now I'm a penny pincher. I can tell you this. Nobody ever, ever have to worry about me wasting any church money because I am a skin flint when it comes to the church's money and my money. Now, your money, I'll spend yours. I don't care. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but then I thought, okay, well, could I get this cheaper on, on, on uh, Kindle? So I, have, I got my phone out, and I thought, I can get it $2 cheaper. So, and then it was free shipping, so I thought, put it back. But anyway, it was all about Messiah. But that's, okay, let's tell you why I brought you here today. There's something else we need to rediscover. We need to rediscover our message. Now, we rediscover Messiah because he said, I will. It's his church. I will build my church. We rediscover Jesus because it's his church. But we also know this. He said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. What are those keys? I believe with all my heart, those keys are the gospel. Because the gospel is what delineates and what explains the binding and loosen, the allowing or forbidding into the kingdom. You know, you know how to get in the kingdom 
or you know how not to get in the kingdom. Either way, this is binding and loosing right here. This is the gospel. Whosoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, allowing. Peter had the keys of the kingdom. Whoever, uh, whoever doesn't believe, I'm paraphrasing, whoever is unbelieving and rejects the Lord, he shall be damned, forbidding. Now we have the keys of the kingdom. What, is, what are the keys of the kingdom? It's the message. It's the word of the living God. It is the gospel. So let's talk about this. And I thought about this this week. I thought about how we rediscovered Messiah. And by the way, I've got seven messages in this series. I'm not getting too far, am I? But uh, what ha think about the seven churches of Revelation. What's the first thing that he did in each of those churches? Smyrna, Thyatira. First thing, there was a revelation of Messiah, the one who has the sharp sword, the one whose feet are, you know, eyes, all this. In every one of those churches, the first thing they did, they had a revelation of some aspect of Messiah in the first chapter vision. And then what happens? The message of the Messiah. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So that's what we're going to do. Let me delineate. Let me, let me define this for you today. What's our message like? I'm going to be quick here. Number one, our message, the gospel, is distinctive. Our message is distinctive. I mean, it's unique. I would say this. Our message is not an earthly message. Our message is a heavenly message. Second Timothy says this, that this book is God breathed. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That, that literally means God, God breathed it into men. And then men begin to take pen and they begin to write down exactly being inspired what God wanted them to write down. Nothing like it. Nothing before and nothing after. After No one else is being moved on like that. You understand? No one else. There, you know, another book of Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, man. Are you kidding me? There is no other book of Jesus Christ. There's only one Bible. It starts in Genesis 1-1. It goes to Revelation chapter 22, and it's the Word of God. It's a heaven-sent book. It's a miraculous book. It is a God-breathed book. Come on, amen? Listen, this is, there's no book like this. I can tell you, no book like this. There's been lost, very wise, scholarly, lost people that just looked at the Bible versus the Koran, let's say. And, and any one of those people that don't believe and believe there is a God said, even on a natural realm, that they don't even believe the Bible is inspired, they said the literature of the Bible is at such a higher level than even like the Koran. It's not, not even the same stratosphere. The unity of this Bible, the supernatural way God put together, we are a church that believes in this message. We in the Assemblies of God have a high view of Scripture. This book contains perfect truth in it. And this book right here is a God-breathed book. Glory to God. This book is not only a heaven-sent book, but this book is an honorable book. Paul called it the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Anytime this book is embraced in a marriage, in a family, you bring up the honor. You bring up the honor. Have you ever noticed where there's a lot of sin? There's a lot of dishonor. There's a lot of sloppiness. There's a lot of just things degenerate in culture all around. Family generates. Even stuff. Buildings degenerate. Why? Christianity always embraces and lifts up a culture. Now, we're not, we're not called to reach culture. 
Okay, we're not called to reach cult. The culture will never be changed. Peter said, save yourself from this, un, this crooked generation. He didn't say the generation was going to be saved. This age will end in judgment, and then we're going to get a new generation. We're going to get a new heaven, and a new earth is coming down. Do you know your name is there? Do you know your name is there? If you're a Christian, do you know your name is in that heavenly book called the Lamb's Book of Life? And you're going to be included in that. But this book is a heavenly book. It's an honorable book. It, you, you get this book, or rather you take this book and you pull it out of your family, and you don't train your kids in this book, and you don't give your kids a diet of this book, I'm telling you, your kids are going to grow up with dishonor. Now, I'm not telling you, listen, I'm not saying just come and get a little tidbit thimble full on Sunday morning. I'm saying in this ungodly culture, you have to purposely purpose and designed to raise godly kids. You have to guard your kids' mind. You have to guard who your kids hang around. Are you going to raise kids that have no honor? They're going to take the, 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 the flavor and the, uh, the, the ungodliness of the culture because now culture's not out there anymore. It's on the Internet. They bring it right into your home, and you may not even be. Guard what they do on that Internet. Amen. There's things that our kids should never be looking on. This book is an honorable book. This book will make us clean. This book will keep us holy. This is a holy book. This is an honorable book. This book will make you pay your bills. This book will make you treat your neighbor right. This book will make you live honorably and keep your marriage vows. These, this book right here will make your little boys and girls say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. You take this book out, and you raise a kid in this ungodly world, they'll cuss a teacher out. They'll slap a teacher. They'll make a, you see what I'm saying? This book is an honorable book. This book builds honorable, godly, holy people. Thank God for this book. It's a distinctive book. It's heavenly. It's honorable. It's also a hope-filled book. This is, right, this is the only hope of the world right here. There is no other. There is no karma, wish things go well, hope you get the luck of the draw. There's only one place of hope. That's a book of hope. Are you hearing me today? I'm telling you, we got to put a church on this property because there's people driving by this property. They're going to put a gun to their head one day unless we put this building up and get their attention. They can come and they can be saved. And those demons of suicide can be driven away. We've got to do this. It's not about us. It's about getting this book out to the world. This book will give hope to the hopeless. The devil's telling people you're worthless. The devil's telling people there's no such thing to eternity. You just kind of die and just annihilate, and you just cease to exist. That's a lie. You, everyone in this room and everyone in this city is going to spend eternity in heaven or hell. And heaven is eternal, and so is hell eternal. We've got false prophets today that claim to be Christians that are preaching annihilation now. Preachers have never preached that. Why in the last 10 years are now these slick guys that don't have the Holy Spirit, they're saying there's no such thing to hell. You, you, it's not eternal or it doesn't even exist because love is all there is. Let me tell you, love is a great part of God's nature, but there's more to our lives in eternity than that. We better wake up. This is a hope-filled book. This book gives hope to you. Listen to this verse. It's a crazy verse. Crazy verse. A man in the Bible, Paul said, to die is gain. That's the craziest thing this world ever heard, or one of it. 
Couldn't you imagine telling your lost friends, oh, to die is gain? What's wrong with you folks? Y'all have a death wish? No, but listen, this book right here is distinctive in that it's a hope-filled book. Why? Because when we come to death, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Death has no power over us. The moment you and I die, the next moment, whoo, hallelujah, in the presence of God. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Brother Steve, Jennifer, amen, Robert and Sue, when your loved one, when Danessa loved Jesus, when she died, went right into God's presence. Because this book gives hope beyond this life. To die is gain. To die is to be in heaven. Who says that? You don't find that anywhere. You don't find it in Greek mythology. You don't find it in New Age. You don't find it in Buddhism. You don't find it in Confucianism. You don't find it in the Indian religions. But this book right here said, well, we are without hope, without God, and Jesus is our hope. 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2. 1, 1 and 2. Jesus Christ, our hope. Just say that with me. Jesus Christ, our hope. Think about this message you have. Trinity Life, you have a reason to be here. Can I tell you, I have no self-help for you. I have no self-help message for you. But I have a Jesus that can save you, a Jesus that can change your heart, a Jesus morning, noon, and night. There is no self-help. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. We can't serve God on our own. It's impossible. But we have a Jesus that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. I can do all things through Christ. Christ. My message is Christ. From this pulpit, Christ, Christ, Christ is all I have to say. If I could not preach Christ, if you would tell me, we will not allow you to preach Christ, I would never return. You would never have to bother with us again because I have nothing to say beyond this Christ-centered book. This book is distinctive. Secondly, I want, want you to see this. This book is divisive. I mean, the Lord must have not known how to win friends and influence people. Come on, Carnegie. This is a divisive book that's why i cannot join with false religions i cannot join religions now i certainly can join other denominations that love jesus that don't agree just like i do of course i mean i have calvinist friends i have people that don't believe the holy spirit like we believe certainly and we should look for ways of unity with our brothers and sisters. I mean, there's some, there's some Sunday morning. I'm not Presbyterian. So early Sunday morning, I'll, I'll flip on, you know, three or four in the morning, and I'll turn on a website that has the churches uh, in Scotland because, you know, they're ahead of us. And so they're already starting to have church. And I'll turn on some of those Presbyterian Scottish Irish, Scottish Presbyterian. Let me tell you something. They're different than the Presbyterian folks here in America. Let me, they're preaching the gospel. They're, they're, they're preaching Christ. They're preaching a salvation experience. Oh, I did, and I feed on it. I don't care where the word is being preached. I don't care what your title is. You preaching Jesus, I'm on your team and you're on my team. But listen to this. This message we have, we're rediscovering the message. It's divisive. Here's what Jesus said. Everybody say Jesus. Look at this quickly. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What a strange statement. Jesus said this. 
the Jesus meek and mild, Jesus our Savior, Jesus who died on the cross said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What did he mean? He's, he's meaning this. I did not come to bring a false peace. I did not come to bring a peace at all cost, but I came to bring a sword, father against mother, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What, what is he saying? He's saying this. He's saying that this message causes us to have an allegiance to him and him alone. Yeah. Now think about this. This message brings opposition from a hostile world. Blessed are you when you suffer for righteousness, when you suffer for my namesake. Sometimes, I mean, I would encourage you. I was reading this week in uh, Josephus, and you need to read Josephus. Now, you can get an easier to understand Josephus. Josephus is an eyewitness to the fall of Jerusalem. He's an historian. He's a really strange guy. He was Jewish, but he went over to the Roman side. A rock fell on his head. It's kind of strange. But he has some great historical facts that interrelate with Christianity, early Christianity. And in his writing, he talks about Masada and what happened on Masada. And he gives the speech of, the, of Eli, uh, Eliezer, the guy that was there that caused them to commit suicide and all this and that. The, the Christians and the Jews, they were so persecuted you need, to, you need to know what your brothers and sisters have been through. Do you realize 90-something thousand people a year, Christians around the world, die for their faith? It's never stopped. There are places that are very hard to live for Christ. China's getting worse all the time. India, we were there several years ago. Jason was with me. And do you realize since we left... It's getting harder and harder for Christianity because the prime minister of India is a radical Hindu and he wants to take the nation back to, to radical Hinduism. And, and in years past, they've been very open to other religions. Many Catholic Christians are there, especially in Southern and, and Kerala and those type places. I'm telling you that our message is heavenly, but it's, it's also a message that is, it's a divisive message. The reason it's divisive is our message is exclusive. It's an exclusive message. It will share the stage with no other religious writing. It is the very word of God, and there is no other. There's no other offer of salvation except in Jesus Christ. I am the way, he said. I am the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I was listening to a radio program of the pastor of the largest church in America. I'll leave the names undone. He was asked by the interviewer this, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? What about Jews? What about Muslims? What about the Buddhists? Do you believe that they're not going to heaven? And this minister said, and I quote, well, it's not for me to judge a person's heart. Only God knows those things. Now I'm going to tell you this. I, uh, no minister that was any, a, a true minister of the Lord has had that kind of weak, compromising declaration of his faith in the last 2,000 years. Let me tell you what the true ministers of God would have said. Let's, let's go back and let's say, Peter, you're on Larry King. What would you say, Peter? And let's see what Peter says. Here's what Peter says, Acts 4, 8. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are being judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. The stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. No other name, no other Savior, no other hope, Jesus Christ and his message. Here's what our Savior said, Mark 8, 38. Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, whoever is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous, sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. I took too long on the other part. I'm I'm, I'm feeling it now. Could we just order out and then stay? I'm, I'm going to go on a little more. If I start losing you, I'll know. <laughs> I like that one pastor. He was, he was pastoring. He was preaching, actually. It was a group of pastors, 50, 60, 100 pastors. And he went up to Oregon. He was from the south. And he went up to Oregon to do a, a conference. And they were all there. And it was at nighttime. And he, he preached for 45 minutes of an, or an hour. And then he, he stepped aside, you know, and the moderator came. And, and nobody left. And then one of the pastors stood up and said, Pastor, brother, said, you know, we're enjoying this so much. Do you have to stop? Could you just go a little longer? Listen, if you want to get rid of me, just go. If you did that, I think I would fall over with a heart attack. <laughs> I'm talking about our rediscovering our message. Very distinct. Divisive. But it's also delightful. Yes. Gospel. Everybody say Gospel. That means good news. And in the Greek, it's used 93 times, and it's euangelion, of course, is the, the Greek word, the Greek uh, word for that. It means good news, momentous news, momentous news. And what it is in defining it, it's, it's, it's what God has done. Listen, here's the definition. What God has done in Jesus Christ, uh, in Jesus, supremely in his death, life, death, burial, resurrection. It's what he's done. It's what he's promised to do in Scripture. And really, you know that, that these kind of phraseologies in New Testament have an Old Testament, it's rooted in Old Testament. So when you think about the good news, it's not just a New Testament concept. It comes out of ancient Judaism. Here's what it means, and you'll like this. When a, there were a bunch of city-states and kings, and they would go off to war. When they would, they would go off and fight that war, then they would, when, when the battle was over, whoever won, they would send a messenger back to the city. And the messenger would run back to the city with the news. He would, listen, he would run from the battle, and he would run back to the city where the people were in anticipation. Did we win or did we lose? And he would be the euangelion. He would be the one beautiful of the feet of those who take the good news, and he would run with the good news. I've come from the battle, and we've won. I've come from the battle, and we won. Now listen, what is the church? The church are people who've come from the battle. We've come from the battle. 
Come on, we've come from the battle. We've been to the cross, and they put him in that grave. And when they put him down in that grave, they thought he was going to stay down there. But I'm here to tell you, we won the battle. Jesus is alive. He's out of the grave. I'm here to tell you, I'm bearing good news. I have good, beautiful feet today, and and we're here to tell the world. Here's the message. Here's the message. Listen, we've come from the battle, and Jesus is alive. Our God reigns, and he's here to save you. That's the message. We've come from the battle. We've won because Jesus has won. Our God reigns. Somebody lift your hands and worship him. Worship him. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I want our musicians to come. We're going to just hallelujah. Jesus. Lloyd C. Douglas, Lloyd C. Douglas was a, he was a minister, and he had a friend that was composer, great musician, great teacher of music, and he went to him one day, knocked on the door, went in, and he said to the gentleman, what's the good news today? And the great musician, the great composer he had a, a tuning fork hanging from a string, a little rope in the room there. And he said, I'll tell you what the good news is. And he took a little mallet and he struck that tuning fork. The good news is that's an A. It'll be an A today. It'll be a, a, it was an A yesterday and it will be an A tomorrow and forever. That's an A. He said, I listened to the violinist in this room, and they're off key. I listened to the soloist in this room, and they're a little flat. But that right there, my friend, bing, is an A. And I'm going to tell you, this is an A. I listen to voices on that side sometime, and I say, that's not an A. That's not the gospel. I listen to some on this side, and I say, oh, that YouTube sermon, I'm going to throw that away. That's not an A. That's off tune. That, oh, but then I pick up my Bible, and I go to Matthew, and I go to Mark, and I go to Luke, and I go to John. I get over in Isaiah. I get over in the Old Testament. I get over in, in the epistles, and I go, oh, that's an A. That's the gospel. It's the message. We'll not let it go. Every word, every promise, let this be a place of great gospel preaching. I want you to stand with me. Oh, Jesus.